is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Have you noticed it's raining out? I noticed yeah, something exactly. on my car when I pulled into the garage. You know, it's funny you should say that. Uh, an old friend of mine who's a meteorologist, I once asked, uh, what's the best way to know what the weather is? And he said, you know, people ask me that all the time. And I said, what do you tell them? He said, well, I tell them this. Stick your head out of the window in the morning. If it comes back wet, it's raining. If it's dry, it's not. And I thought, you know, that's, pre- that's pretty good advice. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> you know, um, this is an amazing story. Uh, it's both amazing and sad at the same time. Horrifying, really. Uh, and a lot of questions and not a lot of answers around this bizarre shooting in Virginia. An elementary school teacher, probably have heard about this, is recovering after police say she was shot by her six-year-old student in a first-grade classroom. And the police are saying it was no accident so we are going to go in depth into what happens now with that child. Oh, a special grand jury is now done. They were looking into whether former President Trump and others illegally tried to get Georgia to overturn its 2020 election results. But if there are any indictments, it's going to be a ways down the road. And protesters in Brazil stormed the country's Congress and other buildings in the capital. It looked a lot like what we saw in Washington Two years ago, we are going to go to Brazil a little bit later, and we're going to find out what the latest is there. And I did see some uh, pictures of the weekend. They had their own version of the QAnon shaman. Did they really? Who uh, looked like the guy that yeah. was the QAnon shaman who broke into the uh, Capitol. The guy with the horns. Yeah, the guy with the horns. Yeah. So they had a guy with the horns, more, uh, dressed more like an, uh, uh, uh Native American. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, was had the green and the yellow colors, uh, but the, it was the their version the of the QAnon yeah. shaman. Yeah, yeah wow. We're also going to do our best uh, that we can to prepare you for the shock and awe of what's going to be your next natural gas bill. It's going to be a lot higher than you think. We'll go in-depth into why. And if you're single, maybe it's better for your health to focus on your current friendships rather than trying to find the one. We'll explain. Hmm. That's interesting. So basically we're talking about not having a romantic relationship. Right. The friend zone might not be a bad place to be. Right. These are people you just share popcorn with. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We begin, though, with that uh, shooting case that I mentioned out in Virginia with a first grade teacher and a six year old student. Virginia based attorney and legal analyst Amanda Riemann is with us. Amanda, thanks for taking the time. Hi, Rob. Hi, Charles. Thank you for having me. So every time I even you know think about this story it is it is so remarkable in a bad way and so just horrific that it is very difficult for words to describe a six-year-old shoots a teacher after an argument apparently i can't even imagine what they were arguing about but my understanding is that in virginia the law is kind of i I don't want to say baffled but it's it's a difficult situation right because he's six years old That's exactly right. So this case is baffling for quite a few reasons. The first reason is we hardly hear of cases like this where you have a six-year-old who's in possession of of a deadly weapon. Um, Luckily, cases like this are extremely rare. Gun violence experts have said there's only been, um, you know, a handful of these since the 1970s. 
Here in Virginia, we're still a commonwealth. And because we're a commonwealth, some of our laws are a little archaic. Um, but Virginia does not allow six-year-olds to be tried as adults. So if the six-year-old can't be tried as an adult and there is a, a bit of legal limbo re- regarding somebody who is so young, uh, what, uh, what trouble could the parents be in here? So um, a juvenile judge would have the authority to revoke that parent's custody and potentially place that child um, under the purview of the Department of Social Services. The problem here is that Virginia law does prohibit leaving a loaded gun um, where it's, let's say, in an unlocked gun safe or somewhere accessible if you have children in the home under the age of 14. So there's clearly a problem here. um, And if the parents are charged, Unfortunately, in Virginia, it's likely it would only be a misdemeanor with uh, a maximum sentence of 12 months behind bars. And what possible charge could the six-year-old face? I mean, he's Mm -hmm. six. Right, right. So it's possible that the six-year-old could be prosecuted, but is it likely? No, it's unlikely. Um, We are still having this case develop. And so because of the child's age, there's a lot of facts that we're not privy to just yet um, because it is developing. And that's because the child is a minor. Um, If the child was charged The child has a lot of defenses. So the first under the common law theory of infancy means, hey, I'm too young to understand the ramifications of what I've just done. Um, He'd also have to be found competent by a court, meaning he could assist in his own defense. That's highly unlikely for a six-year-old. A six-year-old is kindergarten, first grade. So what will likely happen in this case is there'll be some remedial measures, potentially counseling or something like that. But that ripple effect is still evident nonetheless. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Still so many questions left to answer about uh, this case. It's something we're all going to be watching uh, with horrified eyes for the next uh, few days. That is uh, Amanda Riemann, a Virginia-based attorney and legal analyst. Right now, though, a special grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, is uh, done investigating Former President Trump's attempt to overturn the state's 2020 election results. Its report will now go to the district attorney, but it doesn't end there or anytime soon, perhaps. Philip Holloway is a criminal defense attorney and legal analyst based in Georgia. Philip, thanks for being with us. So where, where does all this go now? Well, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me with you. Uh, Where it goes now is ultimately going to be a question for the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, named Fonnie Willis. Later this month, uh, the chief judge in the Fulton Superior Court uh, has scheduled a hearing. The grand jury, we are told, has recommended that its investigative report be released to the public. But under Georgia law, until the judge gives his blessing for that, grand jury matters have to remain uh, secret. Now, what she could do uh, if if she believes that there is evidence that uh, would be sufficient probable cause that any crime has been committed, she could ask another grand jury to issue grand jury indictments, or she could do nothing or uh, perhaps something in between, because there are lots of different individuals that were um, told that they were targets of this. Now, uh, let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, because under Georgia law, there is a specific statute in Georgia that allows uh, an individual candidate in a case if he or she believes that 
the counting of votes was in error or there was some uh, miscounting, then the the law doesn't require that the person, the candidate, uh, have any proof. They basically the law basically says that a good faith belief is enough. And if you look objectively at the the phone call to the Secretary of State from former President Trump, which is the basic basically the genesis of this, he basically asked our Secretary of State. I want you to find this many votes. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he wants you to go out and generate and fabricate votes? Or does it mean I want you to go find these votes that I have a good faith belief uh, were missing from the count? So under the spirit of Georgia law, it might be a tough sell for the district attorney to say this was a crime. So uh, what what is probably going to hinge, in, uh, hinge on, though, is that what some of the January 6th investigators were looking at is some evidence that they say showed that uh, Donald Trump knew that he lost the election and that the top people around him knew that he lost the election. Do you think that's going to factor into this investigation in Georgia, or were the uh, investigators and and the the grand jury in Georgia Georgia able to look at that? Well, Georgia has its own election, right? Each state does. And so the Georgia grand jury is only looking at the Georgia election, not the national election or not even the uh, electoral college, okay? It's It's the election that was held in Georgia for president. And so if a candidate has a belief that there was a counting, a miscounting of the votes, the, the law specifically says they can bring a lawsuit on that basis uh, with, without offering any evidence uh, at the beginning of the lawsuit. Of course, any, anybody who brings a lawsuit ultimately has the burden of proof, but not to initially make that challenge. So the law does contemplate that a person who believes they they. Uh, th- there was a miscounting. The law says that person can bring a challenge. Now, that being said, calling the secretary of state on the phone is not the same thing as filing a lawsuit, obviously. Uh, but the spirit of the law does uh, contemplate that candidates can challenge results when they think there's been an error in the tabulation. So what specifically is in somebody's head in terms of their intention it's hard is, to find. is it's nothing hard. It's that hard. can usually ever yeah. be known, right? You have to look at it circumstantial evidence. Uh, And I don't know that she can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the former president um, had a subjective knowledge that he, in fact, lost the Georgia election. That would be a tough sell. Am I I right that that there is gambling in the state of Georgia? Am I right? Well, (laughs) that's another thing that's a hot item right now. We have some gambling gambling like that. Okay, but you have some gambling, right? In in the lottery and things of that nature. All right. So here's where I'm going with this. Uh, if you had a bet, what would you bet's going to happen? Well, you know, thanks for putting me out on the limb pretty far here. I, <laughs> My I, pleasure. I don't, I don't presume to know what the district attorney's. I know that she would like to indict him if she feels that she can. Now, this is one of those things where if you're a, a, a politician like the district attorney is, uh, if you're going to uh, take aim at this target, you better be sure to hit it because, you know, there's there's nothing like falling flat on your face in a, in a high profile matter such as this. It would be fairly unprecedented for a local, you know, district attorney in, in any state to bring criminal charges against a former president for something that they did while they were president. So regardless of what you may think about Donald Trump or even our DA or anybody in between, I think as a practical matter, if you're going to, if you're going to take that shot, you better, you better, you better kill the target because um, 
it's it certainly is something that can be very embarrassing if you're not able to uh, deliver a, a conviction in court if you decide to go that way. I, I think that's she a paraphrase. The, she could just simply decide to release a, an embarrassing grand jury report and call it a day. Yeah, I think that's a paraphrase of the old uh, adage, if you aim to kill a king, make sure you succeed. Yep. Um, but uh, Donald Trump, not the only target uh, here, right? There are some other people that could potentially be in jeopardy. Well, potentially, but the the the, the wisdom among the criminal law bar in the state of Georgia is that they're not really in too much jeopardy uh, because th- there's really it's really hard to say that anybody had any criminal intent uh, to violate any specific state statutes here. So. Uh, she she would still have to have some really strong evidence to to be able to hit the burden of proof necessary to to bring a criminal case here on, on these facts. I All think. right, thank you so much, Philip Holloway, criminal defense attorney, Lee Landless, based in Georgia. And uh, we uh, we are planning to talk uh, with somebody in Brazil. We're trying to get a hold of her at the moment, and sometimes it's a little bit difficult, uh, especially since what has been going on there for the past couple of days. If you happen to be by a TV set, perhaps, and looked at the pictures and didn't know you were looking at the capital city of Brazil, you might think it was a flashback to what happened in Washington, D.C. on the 6th of uh, January two years ago. That's right. And uh, there are some minor differences, uh, the fact being that in this case, it is summer uh, in Brazil. And uh, we do have our guest with us now, I'm being told. So we're going to bring our guest in. It is, um, uh, who do we have here? Amanda uh, Audi. Amanda Audi with the, with the uh, Brazilian, Brazilian Report. Thank you so report. much for uh, joining us. So tell us a little bit. We, we just got, kind of started uh, chatting about this while we were waiting on you. And uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, what is the scene like there now? They have basically cleared the buildings, and uh, now the, the arrests are beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, first, thanks for having me. So, yes, the buildings were cleared uh, yesterday. I think it was by uh, the end of the night. And today, uh, the security forces are uh, arresting people that were camping on the headquarters of army, um, of, of the army around the country. So I think there's uh, more than a thousand arrests until now. And just... Like a few hours ago, the justice minister said that there will be new uh, new arrests and new investigations to identify all the responsible for the violent acts of yesterday. Now, we said in the setup to you, uh, Amanda, that if somebody, if somebody were watching this here in the U.S. over the weekend, it looked suspiciously like what happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, two years ago when supporters of of, uh, former President Trump uh, stormed uh, the Capitol building. Is that that link being made in Brazil or people there saying, yeah, this is exactly like what happened in the U.S. two years ago? Yeah, and it's kind of a joke around here because uh, we are two two years behind you. So... uh, (laughs) But you're catching up, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we thought we were going to learn something about your example, but I I don't think so. 
So now there's a committee that is being uh, that that is going to happen similar to what you had that uh, that asked for the indictment of Donald Trump, and I think the next steps is going to be very similar as well uh, to 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 put a, a responsibility on uh, Jair Bolsonaro and his allies. And are there calls there now to uh, bring uh, Bolsonaro back from the U.S.? Because he's currently yeah. uh, staying in Florida at this point. We, last we heard, he had gone into the hospital with some abdominal pain. Yes, uh, it, it's something that is very common uh, with him. Always <laughs> that he has a trouble, he has some abdominal pain. So, yes, uh, senators that are uh, starting this committee are asking for the extradition of Bolsonaro uh, and uh, the the security boss of uh, the uh, federal district here that is from the government of Brasilia. Uh, he is in Florida as well, uh, alongside with Bolsonaro. And um, he's being um, accused of not uh, putting the necessary effort to stop the protesters uh, to stop the riot that became uh, uncontrolled with uh, a short sp- a short amount of time. Mm. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda Aldi, with the uh, Brazilian report. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. And when you get your natural gas bill, you probably don't want to open it because you won't like what you see, okay? Maybe you have to open it, but uh, we warned you, you're going to be in for a shock. I don't like opening any bills. I know. As soon as I see something that's a bill, I go, I don't want to open it. That goes for all of them. Because it's always bad news. You never get a bill that you go, oh, this is a great surprise. Or one from the hospital that you went to uh, seven months ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. uh Uh-oh. Yeah. People uh, are going to see and have been seeing extraordinarily high gas bills. Now, we're talking double, double what people are used to paying at this time of year. So we're going to try to explain all this, and we're going to put that uh, curse on Robert uh, Yager, who's Managing Director and Energy Futures Strategist at investment uh, firm Mizuho uh, Securities. I think I got that right, Robert, did I? Mizuho, but you're close. I'm close. Okay, close enough. No no prize, but close. So why, <laughs> why are people paying these extraordinarily high uh, rates for their natural gas bill. What happened? You have uh, both sides of the supply-demand equation here. You have uh, extreme demand, and at the same time, you have uh, constrained supply in California, which is probably only going to get worse as uh, time goes forward. You had some serious bad weather in uh, your part of the country, unlike much of the rest of the country, uh, where it has been above normal and even record highs in some areas of uh, what are traditionally cold temperature areas. You have a rather liberal um, uh, energy policy for the state that has uh, probably cut into demand a little bit also. There's nobody going to invest uh, in money for size in natural gas uh, transmission, production. Um, there's no, There's dwindling supply as a function of byproduct from drilling for crude oil. And these, all these issues conspire to raise your guys' uh, prices by, um, by astronomical amounts, actually. Strange thing is you're the only part of the country that's really having this, uh, having this happen to them. So, and, and you know that, a, 
That brings up an interesting point, because there are some of the more conspiracy-minded uh, um, among us that say, you know, the state recently passed some new laws about uh, no new buildings can have natural gas, and so this is natural gas uh, companies' response to that is to, like, say, oh, okay, well, here you go, we're going we're gonna to jack the prices by double. Uh, how much uh, credence would you give that? Uh, there's no credence in that. The uh, the the uh, the power authorities in any state and any all encompassing power generation uh, area, they can't just unilaterally go out there and jack your prices. Um, there, it goes to a commission. The commission is represented on b- both sides of the equation there also, and they can't just go out there and and and, and crank them up. So you got to punish you guys for basically uh, enabling green energy laws. I mean, at the end of the day, to a certain degree, and first of all, keep in mind, there's a couple of things that make California unique. First of all, your political situation is, however you're looking at it, is good or bad. Um, you're going to be the first ones to a green economy. There's going to be some pain along the way. The also thing that hurts California is you have the desert and the Rocky Mountains in the way. Texas, for example, can't save you. We can't pipe natural gas from Appalachia to, to Southern California. And those are in an area like New Jersey, for example, where I'm at right now. First of all, we have really warm weather. We can take pipe natural gas from Appalachia, from West Virginia, and um, we're paying less than we usually do. But you've got a lot of things conspiring against you. And I don't think any of them are a conspiracy situation at all. It's just bad timing on the legislative part of the equation. You got bad weather that's coming at you fast. Oh yeah, it's here. It's here. <laughs> no, it's definitely here. Yeah. It's not so, going away. So basically, if somebody in California wants to bring down their natural gas bill, they got to move to Texas. Yes, that's the fastest <laughs> way you could possibly do it. A so quick they answer. They had a freeze in two weeks ago that that sparked their prices to really high levels. I would say, like matching up against you guys for one day. They had higher prices than you are having right now. Uh, they've moderated significantly, but there's still refineries that are offline because they lost power. And uh, they're still trying to get some of those refineries. They're certainly not running at 100% of what they were before that storm. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of um, moving pieces. Um, you're you're going to have to bite the bullet here for a little bit. I mean, it's, it's going to continue to be below normal there. Here in New Jersey, we've had above average temperatures. For six days in a row, including an all-time record last Wednesday, 65 degrees, and we're going to have 12 days in a row where the high, the high temperature of the day crushes the all-time, uh, not all-time, crushes the average highs. That's the kind of situation that you are kind of used to in California, especially Southern California, and uh, it's just not happening. You're not getting the good, the beautiful temperatures that you usually get. They've uh, moved on over across the country to New Jersey for the time being. All right. Thank you so much. That is uh, Robert Younger, Managing uh, Director and Energy Futures Strategist at investment firm Mizuho uh, Securities. I did get that scary email from SoCal Gas warning me that my next bill was going to be very high. So here's what we do. Everybody who has these uh, really high natural gas bills, we all charter a uh, giant bus Mm -hmm. and we move to New Jersey. There you go. Because he said it's cheaper there. So easy. You know, as um, people get older... They may start feeling a, a void in their in their life. For me, it's when I forget my orthopedic inserts. Mm-hmm. But but if you're single, 
The emphasis might be on your social life and maybe even uh, it kind of shifts to meeting a romantic partner. Yeah, especially if you've gone a long time and uh, you're tired of being single. That can come at the expense, though, of meeting friends and nurturing friendships that have already developed. There's some growing research now that uh, finds friends can lead to a healthy life and maybe platonic love is better for people than romantic love. Dr. Lauren Cook is a psychologist and founder at Hardship Psychological Services in Pasadena. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Uh, So... You're telling us this research, or you're going to tell us this research shows that uh, friendships can be more important to your health than having a romantic uh, relationship. That's right. It's really interesting, actually. A lot of research has shown recently that, in fact, having relationships, especially platonic friendships, can be healthier for us than our nutrition, our sleep schedule, our exercise routine. It's actually the relationships that help us have a healthier and more longstanding life. And do we know why? Well, you know, the thing is, and it's really interesting when you look at even the Blue Zone diet, right? These places in the world where we're seeing people live longer than ever. Take Sardinia, Italy, for example, or even here in California, Loma Linda. What we see as a common factor is that people have these communities. It's not just their relationship with their partner or their children. What they see is that when people have close connections with a wide span of people, they know their neighbors, they can say hi to someone in the grocery store. That really builds these social connections in the brain, and that makes for a richer, healthier brain so that people are feeling less isolated, less alone, because what we're seeing actually is there's a huge loneliness epidemic, and that actually makes us just as sick as if we were to, say, be overweight and at risk for heart disease, for example. Now, does that take into account the dreaded friend zone of someone who's attracted to someone in a romantic way, but uh, the other person wants to keep it in the friend zone? Uh, Is that still something healthy? So would your advice be, you know what, take the friendship? Oh, a case of unrequited love. I can tell you that may not be the best route to go, actually. It's better for friendships to have mutual liking. So you want to be on the same level with someone. You either want to be with somebody who wants to be in an intimate relationship with you, or you want to be with somebody who just wants to be friends with you. But I can tell you right now, it doesn't go well when two people want different things from the relationship. But what about uh, relationships that start off as being passionate and romantic, can they be satisfactory if they become more or less platonic? I think it really depends on the people. You know, sometimes what we see is that, and we see this happen in a lot of marriages, right? That passionate spark in the beginning, the honeymoon phase that really tends to last only a max of two years. We see that evolve all the time into this great companionate love, right? But for other folks, you know, if they're finding that that's not enough in the relationship, then that's a sign that you may need to be with somebody who's more at your level uh, and is wanting the same things out of the relationship that you are. Now, earlier I was joking about uh, romantic relationships can can take a lot more time and energy and work than a good friendship has, because I've I've got a few really good friends in my life and it never felt like like I had to work very hard at it unless we had a falling out and we had to fix some problems. But it always seemed to be we just got on the same page and that's why we were friends in the first place. Whereas with a romantic relationship, you've got the courting you have to do and, you know, like it or not, you play some roles to get that person to fall more in love with you. 
Mm, yeah, that definitely is true. You know, but I think sometimes that can be a trap people fall for is assuming that their friend is just going to be there no matter what. And we have to invest in our friendships. I would say just as much as our romantic relationships. As you look at your calendar for this year ahead, think of the friendships in your life. Literally, as you're listening to this interview, text a friend, call a friend, get them on your calendar, because otherwise we're going to be at January 2024 and you're <laughs> going to wonder, hmm, haven't talked to that person in a while. Well, well, let, let's doctor uh, take a closer look at Rob. <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, uh, it's on me. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> but when 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 he says that that his friendships, your friendships, Rob, uh, are easier or were easier to to sort of uh, cement, I suppose, than than a romantic relationship. Might it be, Doctor, that his definition? I'm talking like he's not here. <laughs> that, that, that Rob's definition of a friend might be different than perhaps somebody else's. In other words, might they not be true friends in the sense that they will do anything for you and you would do anything for them kind of oh, thing? Oh, great. Now I'm paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be looking over your shoulder. When did I last talk to that uh -huh, person? Yeah. You know, everybody wants different things out of their friendships. And I think that's where it's really good to check in with folks, you know, have a real conversation, you know, about, oh, how often are we seeing each other? Should we try and get together more often? Uh, it's really important that friendships ideally have this mutual liking, right? Where you're reaching out to someone, they're reaching out to you. One of the biggest things I see pop up in my practice is people build this real sense of resentment of, how come I'm the only one ever reaching out, you know? So you want to make sure that you're taking the initiative too, not just waiting for people to come up to you. Because otherwise, that's when we do start to see friendships slip through the cracks if somebody feels like they're carrying the heavy load of it. All right. So let's say you're you're in a romantic relationship that's been going on for a while now. So you kind of like you're in, right? And things mm -hmm. are at a normal level. And you listen to the study and say, hey, I, honey, I need more friends uh, on the outside because that's going to be better for my health. So, honey, is it okay if I become really good friends with, let me pull a name completely at random that I haven't thought of before, Anna Dormas? <laughs> <laughs> Are you are you rehearsing? Wait, 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 wait. I want to know. Are you, are you rehearsing this? Play. You're rehearsing this, play. aren't yeah. you? Okay. He's rehearsing, <laughs> doctor. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll say the same thing. Me and Brad Pitt, right? No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, you know, it's great if you can form couples friendships, right? That's always something fun. You can go out for double dates together and all these things. But yes, you do need to have more than just your your spouse in your life. And actually, where we see this the most is especially with older men, we find in the research that a lot of older men, their closest and kind of only social tie sometimes is with their partner. And so for any of our men listening on the conversation today, Find other men to have in your life, whether that's from a community gathering, a place of worship, you know, a volunteer opportunity, whatever it is, you do want to have more than just your spouse, your partner as your social support. Now, I, I do want to point out that what's interesting uh, as regards to this study is that uh, my wife and I were friends for a long time before we developed a romantic relationship. So mm -hmm. we started out as friends and we're still friends, but it became something else. And then we got married and, and now she has seen me naked and yet refuses to leave. So something's obviously <laughs> wrong with her. <laughs> oh, I love that, though, that you 
to form this friendship and it became something more. And I think it's really important for people to be open to that. I see a lot of people saying, well, this, this person is such a good friend. I don't want to mess it up by having, you know, a more intimate relationship with them. To that, I say, what do you have to lose? If this could be a person who is somebody that becomes that wonderful love in your life, take that chance, you know, but a lot of people keep themselves in the friend zone themselves and they don't get that opportunity. All right. Thank you, Dr. Lauren Cook, psychologist, founder at Hardship Psychological Services in Pasadena. Charles, you're my friend. I was going to say, do you want to be with yeah. friends? Yeah. We're friends. We'll go, and, we'll go hang out. And, and, we're, and both of us are going to go for psychotherapy right yes. after this program. So that's it for today. We're going to do our psychotherapy sessions. Come back tomorrow as better, healthier people.